Digital 410 Productions proudly presents the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast with your host, Dodd Abernathy, Jeff Kopsetta, and Henry Sledge. And you know what? That's what I get for uh, not checking our audio before we go live, but don't worry, I'll put the theme song in the post. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, a very quiet intro version of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. Um, joining us, as always, is Mr. Henry Sledge. Henry, how are you doing tonight, sir? Hey, uh, doing doing well. Well, glad to be here. I hit the same song on the, the software, but it didn't play. I think because I had the soundboard off and I just loaded the software. But that's all right. We'll load it in post. But uh, Jeff Copsetta could not join us tonight. Um, he'll be back hopefully next week with uh, tales of of all the things he has going on in his world. And um, it's been a long week or two since we've all spoken. Uh, I guess first and foremost, late uh, Thanksgiving, everybody. Hope everybody. Um, Got to do what they wanted to do during Thanksgiving time and all that stuff. But uh, we're going to hand it over to Mr. Henry Sledge. It's so weird with no no background music, but you had a very cool opportunity to sit on the uh, 16th anniversary of the International World War II Conference. Is that correct, it, sir? It, it was the 15th. 15th. I'll oh, see. I'm jumping ahead here. The 15th here. annual International World War II Conference. All because of the damn music. Just... You know, it's funny when you do stuff like this every week, you know, you, the, you rely on those audible crutches, you know, they kind of set the pace for the show. And well, I, I didn't realize how much I missed it till yeah. I, till I just missed it, but they won't know. Cause we'll, we'll put it in and post as they say in the industry. So it's probably yeah, wrapping up right about here. now. It just faded out. So welcome everybody. But yeah. So, uh, tell us what's going on in uh, your neck of the world, sir. Well, yeah. So the, um, this past weekend in New Orleans was the International World War II Conference, the 15th International World War II Conference. I had been invited to be there as a presenter on a panel with Richard Frank and Saul David. Um, Saul, of course, is the British military historian extraordinaire who wrote the book that just came out in September called Devil Dogs. And it's about my father's unit, K Company, 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines. Um, but more on that later. But the uh, the International World War II Conference, Don, is the, I would say it's the marquee event at the National World War II Museum. They have it every year. Well, I was going to ask um, you, how it, does it feel being someone like you who are such a huge fan of those two guys? I mean, it's not like you just showed up with two living historians like a me or a Jeff or, or, or a Gabe Riviera tuning in on YouTube. What's up, Gabe? But to be on a panel with, you know, such scholars such as those two, I mean, how, how was that for like, I mean, this is probably one of your first bigger public outings, wasn't it? Yeah, it probably the biggest so far. But let me look. I mean, if I'd been there with you and Jeff, that would have been fantastic. I mean, because. Yeah, but there would have been like three people the- in the audience. <laughs> Do I? I said, yeah, but there have only been like three people in the audience, and the museum well, have been greatly we, disappointed with the turnout. Yeah, we could have shared the, uh, the some of the exhibits there and just pinged off each other. It would have been great. But, but yeah, I mean, to, to your point, um, <laughs> it was a, a pretty unique experience. I mean, probably the one of the headliners of the whole deal was James Holland, who is a you know, we've talked about him. I'm reading his Normandy book right now. Um, uh, Normandy 44 is the name of it. I'm getting pretty close to being finished with it. But James has a fantastic podcast called the We Have Ways podcast. And he was there. And I was, I had said to Saul, because obviously he and Saul know each other. And I had said, yeah, I, 
heard James Holland's going to be here. Really hope I get to meet him. Not expecting that I would, not presuming anything, Don. I mean, just because I would never do that. But the day, like I gave my my presentation on Friday, and Friday afternoon, and I'm I'm sitting there outside the 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 ballroom where they had everything set up with conference tables and you know the panel dais and all that. Now, and are you in full blown monkey out- suit? shirt tie jacket the whole yeah I, I did i had a suit um and then and rich and saul both had coats and ties as well and so um <clears throat> yeah i didn't wear a tie during the rest of the conference but i did for my panel sure. but yeah I'm, I'm sitting there outside the ballroom you know while another session is about to wrap up before i go in for the one that would be mine and you know james holland comes walking by hey nice to see you glad to see you here you know so like he had read the program he knew who i was he knew i was there and uh, you know, he's looking forward to your talk, by the way, you know, and he, <laughs> he walks on off. And I'm just like, great, man. This is, you know, a little bit of pressure here because yeah. I mean, I haven't, I've done public speaking, Don, but I haven't done a lot of it and I've certainly never done it on that level. Sure. I and mean, um, this isn't the, like, but, you know, this isn't show and tell in front of the eighth grade class <laughs> or speaking at the local VFW with 20, 30 guys hanging around. This is, <laughs> this here was a K bar. My daddy carried it all through the world. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, uh, um, over my shoulder, exactly. you'll see this speckled painted color, by the way, not to put a pause on your, your experience. No, but go ahead. Go when ahead. you sent me the photo of your father's haversack and it had that camouflage paint on it, I was just blown away. Cause like, you never saw that in any of the photos. You sure as hell didn't see it on the recreation on on the on the movie. And well, actually, yeah, you did. Really? Think, think of, yeah, you. I noticed it. You actually did see the paint daubed on the on their packs on their haversacks. If you especially, you like really noticed it. Huh? On like on the Okinawa scenes? No, on the Peleliu scenes, huh. the ones where you see Lecky and his his officer. They never really named the guy, but he did a great job. And then you see him from the back and mm-hmm. his pack, you know, because they're, they're massing up, getting ready to go across the airfield and you can really clearly see his pack and it's got those dark green daubs of paint. Yeah. Um, speaking of, I'm but, glad you brought that up. We'll get back to your panel here in a minute. We have plenty of time. Um, I, when, the, when the series came out, one of the things I did is I downloaded all the high quality wallpapers, quote unquote, that they, I could find on sure. Google and one of them is a, is a photo of Leckie in the foxhole, and he looks like he's wearing an airborne Musette bag. I'm like, what the fuck has he got in there? Got the little side pocket on it that I keep my canteen in when I do my airborne. I mean, not my canteen, my my uh, flask in when I do my airborne impression and or my Army. And I'm like, why? I understood that, you know, maybe the Army Musette bag. I was scrolling through eBay the other day. And I actually found a 1943 Boyt USMC officer pack, and it looks identical to the Army Musette bag with the pocket on the side. And it turns out that's what Lecky had on in that episode. And I had never seen one before. I just assume I need to rewatch that. I'll just, just uh, I was trying to find the, uh, I have the screenshot on my computer somewhere because I was going to send it to you and Jeff. Like, have you ever seen this? And then send you the, the, the Musette, the, it actually says Boyt 43 USMC on it. So it's not like it was a mislabeled. Army infantry. I mean, it's basically identical, except for it doesn't have the detachable straps where they clip it on, and it actually has sewn-on straps with um, nice little wideners on it. But it was made for the Marine Corps. I had never seen one before. I was like, "Oh, that's so cool!" But anyhow, that's enough of the Haversock talk. <laughs> so anyhow, back to your panel. No, that's a, a lovely rabbit hole to go down. We we got to love those diversions. But 
Yeah, so uh, Friday afternoon, the thing kicked off on Thursday. Uh, we rolled into town Wednesday night. I took my wife and son out to dinner, uh, kind of an early birthday celebration for her. And then things kicked off on Thursday, and then my panel was on Friday. Um, there were probably, you know, they, they probably sell 400 tickets to this thing. It's, it's you know, these are not. Twenty dollar tickets no, to a football I, game. I remember yeah, you told they're, me they're like thirteen hundred bucks. Yeah, you told me you're doing this panel. I was like, oh, oh, sweet. Send me a link to the Ticketmaster. I'll go. And you're like, yeah, um, yeah. You may want to rethink that. Like, oh. <laughs> well, oh, this is I, yeah. I'm, this is this the, is in football terms. This is more like a Super Bowl ticket opposed to your Sunday night NFL or Monday NFL game. Yeah, yeah, that's probably <laughs> a pretty good analogy. Um, but I mean, when you look at the they had some heavy hitters there, yeah. Don, and, and by no means did I consider myself one of those heavy hitters. But um, don't know if you've heard of the British author Richard Overy. He's written quite a few books through the years. Um, he's just come out with a, a recent one, but he was he was there. He gave a he gave a, he had a one on one presentation or one on one conversation uh, Thursday night with uh, Dr. Alex Ritchie about his latest book. Um, you know, you've got, um, Donald Miller who wrote masters of the air. Of course, Donald, Don Miller is basically kind of a fixture over there. You know, he, he was, he's basically in house. I mean, he's there all the time, but he, he did some stuff, um, related to eight air force, obviously, um, there, but I mean, just, just an, a list of authors, historians, uh, but yeah, my panel was Friday afternoon with Saul and Rich and, uh, the way they do these, these panels, you know, like w when I was invited to be a part of this months ago, I envisioned it was going to be this round table discussion and some Q and a kind of like our podcast, three guys talking back and forth. Exactly. Answer, exactly. Precisely. I thought it'd be kind of nice and laid back. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to have to get up and do some, you know, keynote speech with the spotlight on me. Yeah, like you know. Comic Con, there's William Shatner, there's a couple other guys, people from the audience ask some questions. You guys talk back and forth, <laughs> one of those type of things. Yeah. And so, but, but then, you know, like a few weeks before we start getting emails, kind of really laying it out, like, okay, here, here's how this is going to work. And so I get an email that says, okay, here, you know, the, the, the Devil Dogs, Eugene Sledge, you know, K Company panel, here's how it's going to be. You know, Rich is going to chair it, Rich Frank. Um, it's going to be 15 minutes of Saul David discussing devil dogs. It's going to be 15 minutes of Henry Sledge discussing Eugene Sledge, you know, as the son of Sledgehammer. And then it's going to be like 20 minutes of round table and then remaining time Q and a. And so I see that. And, and that kind of like brought it like really clarified. I'm like, damn, man, that's I when he knew he messed up here. Huh? <laughs> so that's when he knew he messed up. No, not at all. I mean, I, I was, I was, uh, I was all in 200%, but I really, what I did was I, I just really wrote out my remarks, if you want to call them that. And, um, I mean, it just, and I practiced them. I tried to be very polished and as professional as I could be. And, um, it, I mean, look, the, the thing was, you know, Don, it's like this. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to get on there and try to tell the the history of Peleliu Rokinawa or take sure. I mean, I'm not going to take Rich Frank's job. I'm not going to do Saul David's job. You know, they're perfectly capable of doing that. I was there to add personal perspective and context as the son of Sledgehammer. Now, when you wrote out your material, did you write verbatim 
stuff to memorize or did you just write out talking points to refresh you on things? Cause I mean, you know, the, the subject matter. Yeah. So I can uh, imagine. Good question. That is a, that's a good question. Uh, because we, we, what we do here, that's interesting. I wrote it verbatim. Really? Yes. I did not want to take any, I didn't, I have done a little bit of speaking in the past where it's like, I'd kind of write out talking points and then I'd get started. And again, never on this level, never in front of 400 people like this. And I'd get started and then I'd get distracted about something. And I did not want to do that here. I wanted to have a script. I wanted to be professional rehearsed and stick to that and get through it. Sure. And so I wrote it verbatim. Now, while he was up doing his 15 minutes, were you in your head, going over your material or were you listening to his material so you could play off of it a little bit? I was, no, I was, I had already rehearsed mine. I mean that, that, well, we did a, here's the thing. So Rich sent out an email, um, a week before and said, Hey, let's, let's do a zoom call Mm -hmm. and just you, me and Saul and kind of, you know, flesh it out and kind of talk about it. And, and so we did that. And, and I, then I sent him my remarks and he came back and said, this is perfect. This is beautiful. This is exactly what we want from you. You know, this will be great. Um, but yeah, we had a three-way conversation, a Zoom call, you sure. know. And so Rich was kind of, uh, I mean, Saul obviously is a seasoned professional in this kind of thing. He's never been to the, the World War II conference, um, but he's obviously done a lot of this kind of thing. Rich has been doing it for, for decades. Um and, and Rich also sent out some instructions on um, that, that were geared towards new presenters, um, you know, for, for, for somebody who's never seen the format over there and really how it works. And so, you know, he's like, hey, we're not going to stand up at a lectern. We're going to be seated, you know, behind a table on the dais. And, and that was great. I love that. And so it kind of really put it put a spin on everything. It helped me know what to expect. I was able to just write my material and practice it and then listen to Saul's presentation. Uh, and, and Saul could not have been more gracious and considerate. And he, you know, like in our zoom call beforehand, he said, Hey man, if I, if I ask this, this, and this, or talk about this and this, will that get in your way? And you know, that's I'm like, cool. no, man, not at all. Didn't want to step on your sure. material. Yeah. So we knew that there, that would not be an issue. So, um, so no, I was enjoying his talk and then his 15 minutes were up and then I did mine and, and, um, uh, I, I, based on the way people reacted to it, I, I think it went really well. Okay. And for our audience for the next 15 minutes, Henry is going to give us his full presentation word for word. Go. <laughs> no, uh, broad strokes. What were just the, some of the topics that you covered? Um, cause we are going to post a link to the, uh, YouTube video so you can see his presentation, but sure. just, just for, uh, um, our, yeah, I mean, enjoyment. I wrote it from, I mean, honestly, Don, you and Jeff have heard all this stuff. This It's stuff we've talked, like when I was a guest on here before you invited me to be a co-host, um, it's stuff that, that we have talked about, you know, me remembering watching him sit up late at night and write the book, um, my mother typing it, and of course, anything um, it, I, nobody knows outside of you and Jeff, my mother passed away a week ago today. So that that's been a pretty challenging time. Yeah. Um, but Thoughts and she knew that I was over there. Um, she was really proud of me, do, you know, doing this and knew it was a huge deal. And, but, but my remarks were, uh, you know, focusing on, on the memories of growing up. I talked about, I think I told you and my Jeff favorite story part, ever. When you big time snafu, you're like, I got ball to play. I'm out. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, I actually didn't mention meeting. No, I didn't talk about meeting Snafu. I, yeah, actually, I did. I think that came up in Q and A. Yeah, you big time. So, yeah, nice to meet you. I got, I got, I got, yeah, I got uh, three I houses to build. I gotta go. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, sorry, Snafu. I got to find you. I got a date with tonight. So I'll talk. <laughs> no, no, that did not happen. But, um, but I, I talked about you know like when I was probably six years old and, and the movie Patton came on and it was the scene in Tobruk with all the explosions and just that cacophony of artillery and you know, my dad just became upset, started pounding the refrigerator. I talked about that. I'm, I'm not familiar with that story. Really? Yeah. You've never oh, told man. us that story. Okay. Well, I presented that as evidence of the cost of the savagery of surviving that conflict. Right. Sure. So, but to tell you the story and to tell it conversationally to our listeners, and I just feel like I've told this one so many times, people are tired of hearing it, but, um, so in 1971, you know, Patton came out with George C. Scott in 1970. Okay. What if, I'm guessing, you know, it hit primetime TV 71 or so. That's just a guess. I know I, I couldn't have been more than about five or six years old. But, um, you know, my dad wanted nothing to do with war movies. He, he hated them. He would never watch them. Uh, somehow my brother talked him into it like, oh, it's going to be great. Dad's going to be really good. And so I just, I have a very clear memory of, of us sitting in our living room and little black and white TV we had at the time. And that scene comes on and I don't remember Sunday, November 19th, 1972, two years after the theatrical release. So that's when it showed Sunday, November 19th. So this month, about uh, nine and a half days ago, 1972. Wow. Is when it first. That's interesting. On ABC. All right. Yeah, there you go. Well, so we're sitting there, and, and that the scene where they're in Tobruk is is on the screen, and it's just one shell explosion after another. You know, you had all those tanks coming across the desert, and, and it's just pretty relentless at that point. And, you know, I just remember my dad sitting there in the chair. And, I mean, I didn't, you know, so I was seven years old. And I just remember him becoming very agitated. And, you know, it just became more and more physically obvious that he was getting into a state of distress. And he, he, he got up and went into the kitchen, you know, out of the living room. He walked into the kitchen and the way our house was, the house I was born in, you know, you could sit in the living room and look down the hall into the kitchen. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I can still see him just, he started just beating the shit out of the refrigerator. And he was sobbing and very upset. And, you know, I'm like, my brother's, my mom's like, turn the TV off, turn the TV off, John. And so he does. And I'm, I'm sitting there like, well, you know, I didn't know what the hell was going on. And, uh, my mom got him and, and I mean, he was just sobbing, man. He was just out of control. Um, and she sat him down and got him calmed down. And I don't, you know, I'm, we didn't go back to watching the movie that night, but, um, talking to her about it later, she, you know, because this, remember now, this is like, nine years before with the old breed was published. That's what I was thinking. I was waiting for you to pause because I know that he found a lot of therapy writing that book or after it came exactly. out. Exactly. So that would have been when he was still in the early stages of those late night writing sessions. And so which dug up a lot of memories, I'm sure. Yeah. And so she had conversations with him after that episode, that incident. And, you know, he told her what has come to be very common knowledge, which was when they were under heavy shell fire 
they would just pound the ground in front of their foxholes in sheer desperation. Um, and so that was, you know, as I said it in my remarks, hitting the refrigerator was his Pavlovian response to what he saw on TV. It's like when you scratch a dog's side, their leg just starts kicking. Same right. thing. Yeah. Right. It was just it, it, Pavlovian was the best word I could yeah, no, describe. Yeah, no, so, that's perfect. I, I, so, yeah, I thought I had told you that story. But um, so the, I, I, I brought that up. And, and by the way, and, for uh, you young cats, this isn't a modern day crappy aluminum refrigerator that dents when you lean on it. This was a nice, probably sturdy 1962 refrigerator that's strong as a Buick's hood. Yeah, that's a good analogy. <laughs> you know, it's strong as it probably had as much steel in it, too, you know. Um, but yeah, so I brought that up and, and then, uh, you know, since we're on the topic, not to cut you off, but since we're on the topic, cause we see it in a lot of like, you know, born on the 4th of July, you, you see it and you see it in a couple other movies. Did 4th of July affect him in that manner? Did he stay away from it? Um, he, he never really liked fireworks. Uh, the only time, uh, you know, I mean, kids in the neighborhood when we were, my brother and I were growing up, you know, they had they had fireworks. It's, yeah, but they weren't the mortars that we're launching nowadays. Yeah, I don't like false drama, so I'm not going to tell you that. Yeah. You know, he'd hear a firecracker and then he'd just start. You no, know, it was never anything like that. But I can tell you, he did not like it. He did not. Sure. Hey, let's go to a fireworks show. No, that never happened. Yeah. Um, in my later in in his later life, I, I probably was thirty ish, and we actually did go to a fireworks show and it was one of those where like people are parking on the side of a mm-hmm. mountain and watching the fireworks miles away and you know he was he was enjoying that i remember that you know but but yeah in the earlier years no it was something he eschewed whenever possible you know yeah, he avoided it and so you covered that topic during the uh, panel yeah we we touched on that we touched on uh but because so much, you know, Richard Frank's really big on illustrating the human cost. Okay. And so John Parshall, who, who is just a superb military historian, he wrote Shattered Sword, which is a great book on Midway. He's working on a book now on, on 1942. Um, he did a slide and Rich actually sent this to Saul and me. And it, it, um, I'll, I'll forward it to you after the show if you want, but Please. it contextualizes things. It shows the geographical area on a map of the Battle of the Bulge. And then that superimposed over that is a, a map of Okinawa mm-hmm. and a little extension of Iwo Jima and Peleliu. And what it's doing, and it says, like, and it has statistics on there because John Parshall is superb at this kind of thing. Deaths per square mile for the United States forces in Battle of the Bulge were like nine deaths per square mile during the Bulge. Tarawa deaths per square mile was like seventeen hundred. Peleliu was like deaths deaths per square mile, one hundred and thirty eight. Okinawa was like one hundred and twenty one. I think you know just, just these. The Pacific was just these off the chart numbers. Not and not to minimize in any way what happened at Battle of the Bulge. Um, no, just you know statistically, a, when you dump amount that, especially Tarawa, when you dump that many people on such a small mass of land, particularly an island, there's nowhere to go, and then right. you have naval ships, artillery, mortars, and small arm fires. 
obviously per mile, you know, per square foot even, per mile, you are going to have a higher body count because people are closer together. They don't have the land mass to spread out and extend those lines with the exception of Guadalcanal. Exactly, exactly. So certainly not on Tarawa, certainly not on Peleliu, not on Iwo Jima either. Yeah. Know? But Okinawa maybe a little more so, but there, there was just so much, so many civilians. You know, the Japanese 32nd Army, four Army divisions, two Marine divisions, <laughs> You know, there's so much stuff cram-packed there. So to your point, yes, good analogy. But, um, yeah, you know, so I, I hit, I touched on those major points and uh, tried to bring a human face through my own memories of, you know, that the cost of the savagery of what Rich illustrated with that slide when he introduced us. Um, you know, and it was, I think it went over really well. I mean, and I'm not saying that like I'm ringing my own bell. I just, based on what people, the entire, I mean, look, man, I work in a job. I like my job. Okay. Don't get me wrong. I like my day job, but I sit in a cubicle and just do what I'm told. Mm -hmm. You know, it's humdrum. There's nothing exciting about it. And, and people who know me wouldn't be shocked at me saying that. I mean, I think a lot of people in that situation would say that, but to be there discussing what I was discussing in the company, the people I was discussing it with, and then having people come up to me, I mean, it really, and, and then after the panel, so they had Saul and me sit at a table and he of course was signing copies of devil dogs. And I was signing, uh, you, you may have seen a picture on Facebook. I was signing copies of with the old breed. I couldn't believe how many people were queuing up to buy with the old breed. Um, and so people were asking me to sign it and I was happily doing that. Is that the, um, not to interrupt? We never talked about that because okay. I have a 1981 copy. I know Jeff has an, uh, an, a few years old copy when the Pacific came out, did was that Bantan who originally published that? Uh, the, it was Presidio Press who originally published. Did they Gold. republish that when the Pacific came out? Yeah, that well, that before they did. So, so Presidio Press has become Random House, okay? Makes I sense. think Random House bought them, sure. Um, so it's Random House, but they they did the the, the version here that is probably the most common this cover has come out because this is my working copy that i use okay you know, this edition here was 2007 okay after the ken burns the war yeah because i have the original 81 soft copy with the thousand yard stare on the front yes and that, that my mom and i signed that for you yes you did we? now i gotta buy um, a new copy so i can reread it the 18th time <laughs> that's that's that the last again. copy she ever signed um, really of mine mine is Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. Yep. Yep. I felt like a that's, dick asking you, to be honest with you. I waited huh? months. I waited months before I asked you. No, I was, man, you shouldn't. I was happy to do that. I know. She was just, too. It was just, you know, when you came on the podcast as, as a co and this little behind the scenes for the audience, I didn't want to be all fanboy on you and shit. You know what I mean? I didn't want to ask you to do things for me and this and that. So I waited months before I said, hey, if I send you this copy, can you have your mom sign it for me? And oh so, man, I was happy to do that, and, and you know it, it's even more poignant now. To, yeah, especially I mean, what you just said. And I'm looking at it now. I'm like, yeah, that's going off the bookshelf. I'm going into my glass cabinet. And I'm just going to buy a, another copy. That, that was the last copy with the old bridge she ever signed for sure. That's that's straight up, wow. straight from my mouth. I'm sure of that. Um, but now, but yeah, after the panel, did you did you get that little adrenaline rush just from being up on stage in front of people? I, I did, uh, but honestly, man, I mean, like I didn't before because I just practiced the damn 
thing so many times. Yeah. You know, because, you know, you see a guy like James Holland get up there and he did his little thing on military blunders. These guys do this kind of thing so mm-hmm. much, Don, that it's, you know, it, it's as easy to them as what we're doing right now, just riffing off each other. Sure. You know, they do it all the time. And plus they've written 15 books. Each. So I just really, I really felt <laughs> the pressure on my shoulders. Number one, to do, not to sound hokey, but to do my dad proud. Yeah. But I mean, to let's just be honest. Not, let's be honest on this subject matter. You had some huge effing shoes to fill and that's all I, there is I did. To and I didn't want to make a fool of myself. Um, and, and, and the fact that this was your first real big appearance publicly to go into an environment like that on, on a panel like that with that type of audience. And you know, it's a lot of pressure and I'm proud of you. you. You and I talked about it off the, off the air. Well, thank you. And you know, one of my favorite things working in radio was doing stage announcements, whether it was at a, at a concert with front of 500 people, or as I told you, and the biggest show I ever did was in front of 16,000 people, but that becomes landscape. And to me, it's more nerve wracking right. to do three, 400 people. Cause you can hear the guy in the background. You suck. Opposed to yeah. <laughs> front yeah. 16,000. It's just <sighs> loud noise. You can't hear anything. So to do that and, you know, in a room full of 400 people, I mean, that's, Hats off to you. Well, I can't take my hat off because my headphones are on, but I would take my my HPT soft cap off to you and and give you a, a jaunty tilt. So I'm proud well, of thank you. Thank you. It, you I did your dad proud, it. and you did the show proud. Jeff's proud of you too. Well, and I did. Hey, the program, uh, which I have over there somewhere, it, my picture and bio. You know, one of the things is co-host of What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. So, Beautiful. You know, that's a good little mention for our show and what we do, but. Um, but yeah, man, it was cool. I mean, it, it was cool to meet. I mean, here there are people in this room that have written books that all three of us have read, mm-hmm. that, you know, that I admire their work. And I, I don't know that all of them were in the room when I gave my talk. I know James Holland was, cause he told me how much he enjoyed it. And then I got to hang out with him. He actually, uh, interviewed me and Saul the next morning at breakfast nice. for one of his episodes of we have ways. Um, so that was cool. You know, I kind of felt like, man, I can't believe, uh, and I, I hate to do the fanboy thing. Like you say, you know, but it, I'm a huge fan of James Holland, man. Yeah. I love his work. I love his podcast. You know, uh, his most recent episode is we have ways he did one with our, our buddy, John McMahon is talking about Douglas MacArthur. So, you know, it, it, and everybody just seemed to think that the panel went well, Saul and me and rich just, it was just a, a great experience, and, and I hope I get to do it again. Oh, I'm sure you and, will. I'm sure you'll, especially, I mean, you'll definitely, you'll definitely, whether it's there or another another location, I'm sure you'll be, even if it's one of those Zoom conference things, I'm sure you'll be doing plenty more. Because it's one of those things, once you do one and people see that you held your own, you know, you kept it going, you performed, you danced, did your thing, you'll right. you'll, you'll start getting more. And then once you do a few and people, once you get put down in people's book is being there, being reliable, which you are very reliable and knowing your, your stuff, you'll, you'll, at a certain point, you'll probably be one of the go-to people on someone's list. I I hope so, man. I mean, I, you know, it was kind of cool to be paid travel and I, they would, they were going to pay me an honorarium to do this, uh, which would have been fantastic, but I actually sacrificed that so my wife could have a free ticket. 
you that's know, cool. and cause I wanted her, she wanted to be there and I wanted well, not to that, be but there. for her to experience that, you know, it's, it makes it even all that more important for you, for her to see your first outing. Cause trust me, after you do mm-hmm. six, seven, eight, fifteen of these, she's not going to give a shit no more. She's like, that's just an hour. I know. <laughs> so well, it's like, she, for her to she go to the first one, to our show. Yeah. And now I, she, I've been doing this since 2018. Carrie's never listened to an episode. I mean, yeah. Well, she, and she, my wife does it now, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because they live with us, they hear this crap in the free time. Why do they want to waste their their, their valuable free time? Exactly. Yeah, I got to put up with eight hours a day. Him being in the other room is the only time I can get away from him. So I'm happy he's gone. Why would I go back and listen (laughs) to it? Nah, she probably. Yeah, you're you're right. I'm talking about me and all of us, with the exception of Jeff's wife. But yeah, you know, they're all we've heard all this crap. We don't care. We it's World War II all the time. Just shut up already. No, she but she had a great time and and really enjoyed what she heard and my son was there too. So that oh, that's cool. awesome. So after the, now you said you did your panel on Friday, but was yes. this a weekly and long event? Yeah, it was over on Saturday. There, there were, uh, there were panel discussions all through Saturday. I missed a couple of those because Saul and, and James Hall and I ended up, uh, going into town and getting some lunch, just hanging out, you know, and like I said, that morning he interviewed me for, we have ways. Um, and he does a, this is a cool thing. He does a history festival in England called the, we have ways history festival. Nice. And it's like reenactors and tanks and world war two vehicles. And so he invited me to come to that in September. So that'll be, I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. Cause I've heard people talk about that, but, um, but it ended on Saturday night. They had Ben McIntyre, who's a British military historian. He gave, you know, what would be like the ultimate keynote speech, I guess. He, have you heard, I know Jeff probably has, have you heard of Colditz Prison? No. It was a huge castle in Colditz, Germany. It okay. was used as a prisoner of war. Is that the one where somehow... I'm going to destroy this story because I'll probably name it the right. Is that the one where somehow the allies were there and then the German army was moving in and like the prisoners fought on the behalf of the, with the allies or like some of the German soldiers there were fighting with the allies to get them out. Or is that a completely Um, different story? That could very well, that the exact anecdote doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me if it was because cold, it's like, it was this huge castle. And so Ben McIntyre wrote a book about it. He actually went and lived there for a while, wrote a book about it. You can go stay there. It's a tourist thing. But, you know, it was this massive castle. If you remember the movie Where Eagles Dare, Richard Burton, Clint Eastwood, 1975. Full disclosure, I just watched Dirty Dozen and Kelly's Heroes both over Thanksgiving weekend for the first time. So I'm I'm late on my 60s, 70s World War II films. I'm getting caught up. Kelly's Heroes is a separate conversation because that's one of my favorites. But yeah, I just wish Donald um, Sutherland didn't talk like a '70s hippie. But that's neither here nor there. I know, I know, man. But, <laughs> but you, you just—it's—it's it's, look, look, it's like the annoying kid next door. You grow to love it. The two <laughs> you know, things I it, noticed is one, I love—I got a newfound respect for Telly Savalas because prior to that, I only knew him from Little Orphan Annie. <laughs> and, um, oh man, Telly Savalas, Big Joe. Uh, um, but I, it, it's interesting how Telly Savalas was in both of them. Donald Sutherland yeah. was in both of them. 
Um, I found it was interesting in Kelly's Hero, much like Longstay, every single ally guy had a Thompson yet in uh, in, uh, Dirty Dozen, every single ally had a um, grease gun. (laughs) So once again, it's like they all had their own Jeeps. Yeah, it was. But it's like during these productions, like where's all the M1s and M car? Uh, they must have been tied up yeah. over Nam somewhere or something. But because in, in, all, in all those like late 60s, 70s, it's like everybody had Thompsons or grease guns. Yeah. Well, the so the only reason I brought that up though was because the the castle used in Where Eagles Dare okay. looks a lot like Cold. It's it's not because that was that question was asked of Ben McIntyre and it's not, but it looks as like it huge castle on the snowy mountain, you know, and, but yeah, it was, it was, a the Germans had a lot of allied POWs there. Um, and it was not, I mean, yeah, if you escaped, you would be shot, but I mean, it was not, you know, there was no torture. There were no atrocities. It, it almost, it sounds like to hear him. And it was really his, his talk was delightful because he was very humorous and we actually got the book. My wife wants to read it. And then I want to read it after her about Colditz, but it's, it sounds like it almost evolved into this, like, uh, now we're talking, remember the show Hogan's Heroes? Yeah. It, it almost sounds like it was this clownish, you know, boisterous relationship that developed between the guards and the prisoners. And, and as long as the prisoners didn't try to escape, nobody got hurt. Now, gotcha. you know, if they tried to escape, they would get shot. But there were, it, you know, it was not a place of torture. There were no atrocities. It they they would do these plays and sometimes the German guards would jump in and participate. It just, you know, it just sounds like a really interesting microcosm of World War II culture, but um, I'm looking forward to reading Ben McIntyre's book. His, his talk was just fantastic. I mean, great sense of humor. I'll take a real quick pause. This is something that we do on the what's in your head podcast, but never really had the opportunity until now. Sorry, Mike, hopefully you're still in here. I just happened to look down. Uh, Mike via the YouTube live stream wants to know, Don, what branch do you prefer to reenact as? That is a good question, but kind of a tricky question. Uh, my 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 heart belongs to Chesty Puller in the Marine Corps. Problem is, um, there are very few events. Um, obviously, I'm wearing my shirt right now. We had the 75th anniversary of Tarawa in Fort Morgan, Alabama, which was one of my all-time favorite events landing craft everyone was in the exact same uniform uh, you say well that's sh- should be no most events everybody has a uniform but i mean we had uniform standards down to what canteen cover you had on what color piss color you had on everything was exact uh the way fort morgan's laid out there's berms all around the fort so one of the only uh, living history event where you can spin in a 360 degrees with the exception of the outbuilding where the outhouses were you did not see a single modern day vehicle there was no hot dog stands. There was no T-shirt stands. There's no techno music playing in the background like at air shows. It was a vent. Probably had 150 so guys. Only thing you saw were pump tents, wall tents, a few pyramid tents. You had guys dressed up in uh, like CBs, a few army cats. But primarily Marine Corps. I love doing Marine Corps events when we have them. They're few and far between. Sadly, more often than not, I'm doing. Um, First Infantry Division, First ID, um, Army. Every once in a while, usually at VK. Big Red One. Yeah, um, which that was the first Army impression I did, but that group kind of dismantled, and I'm kind of a nomad now. So I only have a few of my uniforms have a Big Red One patch on it, but usually I take them off because I fall in with other groups depending on what event I'm at because our, our actual group group fell apart. Um, but, 
Yeah, usually I'm wearing either uh, Army wools or HPTs, but um, anytime I get the opportunity, I have more Marine Corps equipment as far as original stuff. When I'm out rolling around the dirt, I, I um, wear all reproduction stuff, but if I'm at a museum doing a living history event where I have display set up, if I can, I'll bring out my Marine Corps stuff because I have original Boyd 1942 stuff. I got Boyd 1944 stuff. I have an original Holly pith helmet. I got my D-bail fixed helmet front seam. I got P41s, P42s. Um, I just have more original stuff, and I just know more about subject matter. But more often than not, I'm doing Army impression and falling in with other groups around Florida. But uh, I hope that answers your question. So, um, and I know Gabe's in here. He he he's always doing Marine Corps stuff. Real quick, um, I sent you and Jeff. You're a little preoccupied. This was last Monday. Uh, a link on eBay because I saw these, and they're listed as Army Air Corps headphones, and they were going for twenty five bucks. <laughs> so I sent them to Jeff. And he's like, I already got two pair, and so I went ahead and snagged them. But looking tonight, and I wish Jeff was here to answer this question. I'm sure they all use the same equipment, but I'm seeing more stuff on Google similar to this calling these Army um, Signal Corps. But I'm sure just about all the equipment in an Army, you know, B-17 and all that was probably Signal Corps equipment. So I didn't know if anyone in the Army Corps actually wore these, maybe the um, navigator in the back or whatever. But these are Connecticut Electronics number 607Rs. And the cool thing is they have dual plug-ins instead of single. And so, but these things are pretty stout and heavy. I don't know if you can see them very good, but they're in great condition. For 25 bucks? See, I'd love to have a 50 Mission Crush hat and then a, a mannequin head and then those on top of the hat. Yeah, I think, I think and I, I'm going to say, I'll have to look at the picture Jeff sent me, but I think these are probably very similar, maybe in the same model, because he said he already had two pairs. But um, real quick... Um, I don't know if it's been such a crazy month. I don't know if I covered this when I got back from Ohio. Um, as you guys know, I flew out of town. My roommate, I, my last roommate I had, a uh, male roommate I ever had that I had in Ohio before moving to California passed away. And so I took my backpack, I put a shirt, tie, pair of nice jeans, and then I just wore my my service boots because they look like nice dress shoots, polished them up. And I had my M41 jacket. And I just put a backpack on and hit the road because I flew the nickel and dime airlines that charge you for everything. And even with my military-style backpack, I had to pay 56 bucks round trip. But anyhow, I took with me because at the time, and I need to reach out to her to book her on the show, but I was reading, and I've said this multiple times, um, Brothers in Arms. Brothers in Battle, Best of Friends. It's the story of Wild Bill Garnier and Babe Heifer. And the reason I bring this up is I was reading this book just to finish it, and I go to Jason's um, Celebration of Life, and I, he and I were living together when Band of Brothers came out. And we were watching on HBO, and then I moved to California. And I hadn't seen him, talked to him in years, and talked to him occasionally on Facebook, but nothing in depth. I wasn't aware that, much like all 30-year-old dudes, he got into World War II at some point. And so I'm sitting in a celebration of life. And a lot of our friends, you know, um, we were in high school in the 90s. Um, Marilyn Manson was huge at the time. Prior to him being huge, he, you know, most Marilyn Manson goth kids were an underground thing. And so a lot of our friends were goth kids. And and a lot of them still 
live that style today. And to be honest with you, and this isn't a knock on anybody, you know, I was the only one there in a shirt and tie. I was, felt a little overdressed, but I had my M41 jacket on, a shirt and tie, and I'm <clears> sitting there with my my boots on, and I'm hearing the pre- the presenter talk about how Jason got into World War II, and he loved reading all things history. I'm, I'm thinking, well, that's kind of cool. I'm hearing a M41 jacket and World War II boots. But the reason I bring this up is six or seven episodes back, Jeff mentioned bookmarks. What do you guys use as bookmarks? What do you use as bookmarks? And sadly, he very coolly had a 1st Marine Corps Division patch that he uses the bookmark, and I reluctantly and sadly said I got toilet paper in mine, and we all had a good laugh. Um, so I felt it was only appropriate after being at Jason's Celebration of Life and the presenter talking about how he loved reading World War II books, and I was reading us on the plane to and from. and So now, to answer Jeff's question, at least in this book, I have Jason's memorial card acting as the bookmark and the book that I read when I flew up there for his celebration of life. So 15 years from now, and next time I crack this book open, knowing me, it'll probably be two years from now, I'll be reminded. So out of all my books, at least one of them doesn't have toilet paper in it now. <laughs> so that's for you, Jason. But, uh... What are you reading, fella? I am probably 30 pages away from finishing the James Holland Normandy 44 book, which I've been reading for a few weeks now. Pretty, pretty long. It's 540 pages, so it's a pretty long book. Yeah. Um, when I finish that, I'm going to probably read Devotion because we went and saw Devotion the other night. I was gonna add, I'm, That was on my list. I'm going to try to go see that maybe this weekend. Um, I wanted to see it over the weekend, but things just been too hectic around here, and uh, Carrie hasn't been feeling up to up to snuff, and so I'm hoping right. to go out and see that this weekend. Um, for those you don't know, shame on you. Um, that's the movie. It's based on the book that Adam Makos, not Adam Makos, but uh, oh, sorry about that. We just had him on the show two two weeks ago. Yeah, Adam Makos wrote the book. Yeah, Adam Makos. I'm sorry. I, I was. Uh, like I said, Adam Makos wrote the book, and just so happened he moved down here, so he's a local boy now. And so, yeah, I want to definitely go out and support that because, one, it looks like a fantastic film. He writes great books and, you know, su- he does. support yes. our friends. And so um, how was it without any spoilers? Um, I really enjoyed it. The The flying scenes were, I thought, incredibly well done. Um, I <laughs> Look, for all we know and and constantly read about world war ii man i've never read anything on the korean war you know i did know that they had f4u5s in korea and maybe some dash wars too i don't know but um you know how much i love corsairs and so but see a corsair getting chased down by a (laughs) jet plane it's crazy yeah um and that that scene was really well done i thought the flying scenes were great i mean like adam said when he was on our show You've never seen Corsairs on the big screen like you will here. And when's um, the last time we've seen Korean War anything on the big screen, especially in high def? Never. Yeah. I thought that the, of course, you know, one of the, this is not a spoiler. One, one of the guy, the guy who plays Hudner is the guy who was in uh, Top Gun Maverick. Um, haven't seen it. Can't read. Yeah, so, okay. I've only seen it. Well, I've seen it twice. <laughs> only twice? Uh, not at the theater. My wife saw it at the theater. I, she she got it on Netflix here. But Was well, it already on um, Netflix? Huh? Maverick's already on Netflix? I think it is. Hmm. 
I think she got it on Netflix. Or she I mean, we, we downloaded it. I know yeah. that. But, I mean, I'm not a Jet guy. That's, you know, I mean, I liked Top Gun just because of the time period, the 80s and all that. Mm-hmm. But I'm not a Jet guy. That's not what, you know, really gets me going like Corsairs would. But, um, but the, the, the movie was good. I mean, I, I liked Devotion. I thought, you know, obviously, Jesse Brown was the first black naval aviator. So, of course, there are going to be things that go along with that story. Which right uh, now in Hollywood is what they're looking for too, and so there's no better time for that. So, oh uh, well, yeah, uh, and I, I have to say, I, I I was really hoping they wouldn't just beat us over the head with some of the elements of that, and I don't think they did. That's good, you know. So, um, and and since I haven't read the book yet, my wife has. I have not. Um, I didn't have a basis for comparison, but. Um, now, you know, did I she read the to, book prior going to the movie because she knew she was going to the movie, or she just read it for the sake no, of she reading? No, re- she read it a couple of years ago just because we're friends with Adam. Okay, cool. So she's read it a higher call. I've got to read a higher call as well. Because see, that came out when I'd already walked away from all the World War II stuff after the Pacific. So I haven't read a higher call yet. Now I have read Spearhead. Yeah. Um, and Boys <clears> of the Pacific. So and and you know. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I did not think that the elements of the particular aspect of the story that we just touched on, I didn't feel that that was overdone. That's good. Um, you know, so yeah, I enjoyed it. Well, hopefully I can get out and see it this weekend and I'm sure Jeff's seen it. So maybe when he comes on, we can do a collaborative contrast mm-hmm. comparison, but um, looking forward to that as well. Um, you know, we were going to get into a little bit of Tarawa tonight, but there's really, I mean, we've done episodes on it at length in the past. Um, you know, we touched on a little bit, but, um, well, I probably talked too much about the conference. No, that's Um, fine. That's fine. People wanted to hear about it and we've been gone for a week and a half or whatever. So everything was worked. Everything worked out well. Gabe Rivera says via the YouTube live stream. Yes, I do Marine Corps impressions and very good ones. I think you're uh, dipping your toe a little bit into Vietnam stuff, too, I think. Seeing some of your TikTok videos. But, yeah. Um, if you guys want to support the show, please do us a favor and go over to WTSPWorldWar2.com. Click on the Patreon link. Sign up and subscribe. It goes a long way to help uh, keep the lights on and the internet up in here and all the streaming services and this and that. There's actually a little bit of overhead to do what we do with all the third-party companies involved. And, for example, right now, we're streaming on four platforms, you know, and... Um, all that stuff costs money, so you guys want to help us out, please head over to WTSPWorldWar2.com. Click on that Patreon link. Like, subscribe. The cheapest plan is a dollar a month. We're not like these podcasts where you're here for $15 a month. I'll come, no, our most expensive plan is $3.50 a month. After all, I wouldn't pay someone $15 for their Patreon, so we wouldn't expect you to do the same. So um, our most expensive plan is like $3, I think. Maybe 7 No, I think $3, give or take. Anyhow, it's, uh, as they say, cheaper than a cup of Starbucks. Yeah, so uh, for Jeeper and a star- cup of Starbucks each month, you can help us keep the lights on around here. And um, we greatly appreciate all the support. And please, if you have not done so, we're so close. We're scraping the line. But every day it resets because how it works on YouTube is they count for three months. And so each day you lose numbers unless they're made up. So please head over to YouTube.com. Look for Digital 410. You can watch our live streams every Monday. You can watch What's in Your Head live streams on Tuesday. You can see all my annoying, boring fishing videos. You can see my World War II content. Um, we're going to try to do some, uh, we're going to get a hold of Henry and work on some stuff there. But anyhow, you guys can support the, the channel that way. 
And I think we're going to wrap it up a little early. I mean, we went 60 minutes. I think we only lost 15 to 20. But, uh, you know, it's been a long day, and we're losing our voices. And I think we've covered all the pertinent things about the um, the panel. I assume that being on the panel, you got to peruse the um, museum once you're done as well, I would assume. Yeah, we, we Rich took us over. We went through the Road to Tokyo exhibit with him, you know, Um I'm, man, I'm really wanting to get them interested in, in getting my dad's things. You know, as you know, I have my dad's artifacts. I know I know the National Museum for Pacific War has a few things. They do. Yeah, I took some things out there in 2020, but I'm sorry, in 2000. Wow. Uh, but I'd really <laughs> like to get it, – it's it's a longer – I don't know. I've started the conversation. I think there's some interest – well, there's definitely a lot of interest in it. It's just that – yeah, uh, that's that's a separate conversation. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how the older we get, how twenty years doesn't seem that long ago? <laughs> it's like you're like, no, oh, it doesn't. I, I drove up there in twenty. No, it was twenty. Wow, twenty years ago, I drove up there. But yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm watching TV shows. Oh, I've been in business for twenty years. I'm like, oh, it's not that long. And then I was like, well, I was only in business for eighteen. So, but yeah, just twenty years doesn't seem that long when <laughs> when you're pushing forty five and fifty. So no, I'll try getting your late fifties. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I say the older I get, the uh, the younger old gets. Yeah. For example, the show, the movie Cocoon. <laughs> you remember that movie? I do. Uh, Wilfred Brimley was only fifty-two when he shot that movie. <laughs> I think half the wow. staff was in the fifties when they shot that movie. But, yeah. With the exception of the the old guy and the old lady from uh, who also played in Batteries Not Included. I think they're only ones that were actually in their seventies at the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think Aunt B was only forty three on the Andy Griffith show. Just that crazy. that puts it in perspective. <laughs> that is crazy. What I can't believe is when I watch Seinfeld and like, like especially season one, like through three, they're like only thirty three. They still look older than me. When I watch Roseanne yep. and Roseanne and Dan are supposed to be like thirty five, I'm like forty four, and I saw like they look older. They're an old thirty five at that time, but. Mm-hmm. I guess it just goes to show you nowadays with all the crap we have in our food, it keeps us looking younger longer, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. But anyhow, it's going to wrap it up for this episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. Uh, for myself, Mr. Henry Sledge, and Jeff Copsetta, we will see you all next week. And I'll have to put the music in post, but thank you guys so much. This has been a Digital 410 production. <laughs>